Welcome to the Vocal Lab. This show aims to pull back the curtain on the entertainment industry and give up-and-coming artists some of the knowledge that veterans wish they'd had when they were just starting out. Sort of a music industry primer, if you will. I could sing before I could talk, and I started working professionally as a singer and voiceover actress at the tender old age of three. Now, I'm a singer, voice, performance, and growth coach. For over 25 years, I've worked with shy hobby singers, super talented artists signed to record labels, working on big screen productions, coming to me from world-renowned producers, and everything in between. I'm Sarah Ramsey, and it's my calling in life to help artists develop their instrument and their craft, while giving themselves permission to become people they love, creating joyful lives and fulfilling careers with their own personal brand of magic. Thanks for joining us today. Danny Craig is a songwriter and producer mixer based outside of Vancouver, Canada. He is also a founding member of the multi-platinum rock group Default. As a writer, Danny plays an integral role in the co-creation of the ongoing Default catalog. And additionally, he co-writes with many of the artists he produces and has seen success on rock radio with bands like One Bad Son and Bonds of Mara. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think Mara, so. Sounds Mara, right to me. <laughs> <laughs> In 2017, Danny scored big with writing the opening theme song for Nickelodeon's The Mysticons, and more recently has been writing for commercials and video games. You can hear more of Danny's work at www.dannycraig.com. So thanks for joining us today, Danny. Thank you for having me, Sarah. It's lovely the, to be on here. It is. It's funny. You and I have have worked overlapping for a lot of years, but have spent very little time actually together. <laughs> Absolutely. Isn't it funny? Yeah. <laughs> and hilariously, I just uh, gave your name to somebody else today. So <laughs> Bless you. Bless right. You. There you go. <laughs> so this is actually great to kind of get to hang out a little bit together. Definitely. Right. Well, I know we're both, we've both been around for a bit and we've both got, yeah. you know, children and, uh, and, uh, you know, long musical history and this and that and the other thing. So, yeah, I bet you we've got tons in common that we don't know. I, I think we probably do. Yeah. So tell us your story briefly for our listeners who might not know all the ins and outs of Danny Craig. Tell right. us a bit about who you are and your journey in the biz, how you got where you are today. Well, I guess uh, I've, I've been in it for a little over 20 years now. So, mm -hmm. um uh, my band default we got started in we formed in 1999 and i was 19 years old mm -hmm. and uh things happened pretty quick for that i mean i'd been in i'd been in a, in a couple other bands before that and uh you know we had played with like nickelback before they were signed and and uh, you know the the sort of vancouver bigger bands at the time that all ended up getting record deals and and uh and you know we sat down and we were like okay well we want to make this serious what do those guys do okay well obviously they take it a little more seriously. They do it every day for starters, right? And we're only getting together a couple times a week. Ah, so, you know, that you was one of the, like a job. Isn't that interesting, right? What a, what a notion. So so that's kind of what we did. And we set out to just do it every day and got together. You know, we all had our little eight hour day shitty jobs back then. And we, mm -hmm. we would get together after work for a couple, three, four hours and jam and write. And we put it together pretty quick. 
Um, and it started actually with myself and our guitar player, Jeremy. We were in a band together before and we left that band to start Default or to start the serious band, right? Mm-hmm. So as we were starting that, um, Dallas, who was, you know, we didn't actually know he, he could sing. He was just our buddy at that point and would come out to shows and, you know, we drink together and stuff, right? He was one mm-hmm. of our friends. And then out of nowhere, he's like, yeah, can I uh, try out? <laughs> like you little did you know <laughs> and then of course yeah he comes and you know can rock everyone's socks off and i mean he had a, a bit of a history of like you know he was a car singer right so he was mm-hmm. also that's funny he used to singing kind of expressionless in the car so no one kind of sees what he's doing right but uh, <laughs> and his mom was a singer um so he definitely had you know vocals in the house early on and anyway Point is, yeah, the guy could sing. So we formed Default there. Um, Dave, our bass player, joined shortly after. And then from, yeah, the inception in 99, we were signed a year later. Um, you know, it was only it was only a couple, probably four months into the inception of the band that we put a little demo together and got it to Joey Moy, who was our friend, of course, from, from back then. And he passed it on to Chad. And this is before... Silver Side Up came out. So before they exploded, but they had still mm-hmm. that leader of men record in Canada. So um, I think it was in the US too. But anyway, um, we uh, went in, Chad heard it and was like, holy shit, would you guys find this guy? And then uh, pretty, pretty shortly after we put a plan together and, um, you know, Dallas's dad, who's not a rich man by any means, pulled 20 grand out of his RSPs and, uh, you know, paid for us to do a record way back Bless then. Bless him. Right. So that record we made in December of 99. So really soon after after forming the band. Um, and then Chad introduced us to John Simpkin. And then we, you know, he helped us. Uh, John, of course, shopped us around. And then Chad helped a little bit, too, by getting Roadrunner to come see us. And anyway, you know, it's within six months, we were showcasing for, you know, half a dozen labels and getting offers on the table. And then finally, you know, uh, yeah, probably a year after the band was formed, we signed our deal. And then it took still another year for the album to come out, for the release to happen. And then there was a period in there where the label wanted to uh, beef up the record a little bit. So they sent us down to Seattle for two weeks to work with a producer named Rick Parisher, uh, who did Pearl Jam 10 and Blind Melon, Blind Melon, Temple of the Dog. And that was sort of the first guy who'd done big records that we really were into the first time we got to work with a guy like that. And that was pretty cool. Yeah. pretty special. And then that session was where wasting my time came out of. And of course, wasting my time was our, it was our first single and our biggest song by a long stretch kind of thing. We had, I think we put out 14 singles over four records. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, nothing, nothing touched that one. And that one, you know, <laughs> propelled the first album to platinum in Canada and the U S and, and kept us on the road for two years, pretty solid until we were able to get off and make the next record. And, and yeah, that was kind of a kind of a whirlwind that 2001 to 2002 where all that happened. And then, you know, things kind of settled and we carried on touring throughout the 20, the 2000s, right? Till 2010-ish. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of when, you know, we had, you know, we had gone through a whole bunch of stuff. We had gone through our label going bankrupt and delaying our fourth record coming out by two years. And we had all sorts of problems with their, you know, marketing and you know, for how big the song was, we had people coming up to us all the time. Well, I didn't know that was you guys. And yeah, oh, I was trying yeah. to find your record and I it wasn't in the store and like, oh, this just just shenanigans. Right. So um, but, you know, we still had a really great, you know, 
great experience and a great career for that matter, right? So yeah, um, but that kind of wound down there in the end of the two thousands, and uh, we kind of you know we had kind of exhausted all the shows we could do and we were like okay well let's just take some time away and that's when of course you know dallas went off to try his hand at uh, some country songs and i got heavier into producing although i i mean i started producing in 2003 so Mm -hmm. um it was yeah two years after our first record came out so we had already had like the platinum album you know sort of cred right and uh, a buddy of mine just asked out of the blue hey would you want to come produce my band I said, well, sure. I mean, I got a basic idea how that works. So I you yeah, know, hired yeah. an engineer and went in there with him and, and we, we made the record and, and I had a, I had a lot of fun in that role. And I, I remember just, you know, thinking to myself, this is great. I, I kind of like doing this, you know, it's similar to, you know, being the drummer in default. And I, I, I definitely play a, played a heavy hand in arrangements and stuff like that with default. And that's a yeah. big thing about producing, right. It's kind of yeah. you know, getting the song to flow and getting the, getting the right hooks in the right spots and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I kind of took to it and, uh, and I started producing more and more and more. And in 2007, I built a home studio that I was able to, you know, do quite a bit out of. And, and then uh, this one I'm sitting in now, I moved into in 2018, um, mm-hmm. built this one out and uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's been, it's been, like, that definitely took over more focus once, you know, default wound down a little bit. And um and it's me you and know, my bio. I mentioned one bad son. That's when we did that record, and that ended up being the ninth most played rock record on radio in Canada. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a fun, you know, first sort of, you know, that was like the first record too that I produced. And, and when it was done and mixed, I was like, okay, well, this is kind of what, you know, this is what I was hoping for. Yeah, I, I'm, yes. I'm happy. With it. I'm not upset with anything here, right? So, and then ever since then, luckily, it's it's been like it's been that way, and um, yeah, and then things really kind of took off from there. Uh, you know, working with a lot of bands and getting radio play in Canada with various various groups and and um, you know writing as well. I in the bio there it mentions that cartoon I wrote a theme song for called The Mysticons and mm-hmm. that also kind of came out of nowhere um, from my publisher and it was like a submission thing. I submitted it, and they liked it, blah blah blah. Um, and then um, yeah, then I started doing a little more of that, writing for this and that and co- a couple commercials and. Uh, and over COVID, uh, a video game approached uh, myself and Dave, my my bass player, who's actually my partner in a couple other businesses, which we'll we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and and that was that's that's a lot of long-winded <laughs> story there. But I guess it's sort of step by step on all that happened, all that happening. And of course, with default in 2018, we went back out. We we did a you know reunited, if you will. Not that we mm-hmm. ever broke up, but. Um, we reunited, did a tour with uh, Seether and Stone Temple Pilots across Canada, and that was fantastic because we hadn't played together in seven or eight years, and so getting out on the road together was a lot of fun and putting you yeah. know putting that together and and the tour went really great and I think the time off was probably a good thing for both us and both for people who wanted to see us because it was we were away for a while so people wanted to see us again kind of thing right yeah 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 it sort of reinvigorates the audience right it does it does it does and then ever since of course we had covid so that kind of you know put a little bit of a wrench in the whole uh reuniting of things but uh, we've done we've we've done a handful of shows uh you know each year since and and uh hopefully when the world gets even more back into the swing of all Mm -hmm. that we'll get some more out of it so Right That's on. about the story in a nutshell. <laughs> wow, there's there's lots to unpack there. Definitely. Um, let's start. 
by so we were talking before we hit record and um we were talking about so here on the show on the vocal lab um the aim is to kind of shine a light on the music industry through the lens of what i know now that i wish i'd known then mm -hmm. um to to make the information more readily available for up-and-coming artists who maybe don't even know what they don't know yet right yeah. because yeah. all of us were in those shoes at one point in time so with that in mind if you were starting your career over again what would you do differently what would i do differently well you know i could tell you the, the things that we'll start with the things that really i think mattered in a positive way was was the regimented like you know daily rehearsal working with the band even just playing your own instrument every day not yeah. not here and there right you got to play every single day if you want to be good and uh yeah. you know and i don't mean like whatever joe satriani good i mean just just good enough to not fuck up on stage really right <laughs> really you gotta True do that story. you gotta play every day so, um, so you, one of the, one of those things was, yeah, it was a five day a week rehearsal schedule we had, and I would definitely not change that. Um, you know, delegation, delegation is really important. Not having one guy who's handling booking the gigs and doing your social media and talking to whomever and ordering CDs and ordering merch and doing all that shit and then getting just pissed off that no one else is helping them out. Right. So yep. a big thing would be delegating everything, you know, and making sure everyone has a job or two. Um, that they're going to be able to do well and, and it's going to work great for the for the whole machine of it, right? Um, and maybe like it, within that, um, <laughs> this is your life we're talking about, not mine, but if <laughs> I can throw in, within that, I think it's important to like look at whose skills are best suited to which jobs as well. 100%. 100%. So you're not getting the guy who's completely... Uh, tech like a non-tech guy to be your social media guy exactly right? exactly or or the or the totally uninteresting guy in the band to be your social media guy right yeah <laughs> so ma match the jobs to the skills 100 yeah but delegate yeah yeah, Carry yeah. On. those things um you know writing put a put a big priority on writing i mean and i run into this still with you know every artist kind of does it oh hey we got 10 songs we want to make a record Awesome. Well, you need 30. usually with the pros too. <laughs> exactly. You need a, a bunch more and you pick the best one. So um spending that time on writing and really putting a focus on writing. And and I mean, I still tell the bands that I work with now, you know, if you can, you know, it's important when you're rehearsing for a show, make that the priority. But, you know, it sometimes sucks just doing that five days a week. So maybe there's mm -hmm. a day where you do write or there's a jam period or whatever, you know, change it up a little bit, but uh, but do focus on writing. You know, one of the things that we didn't do when we blew up on the first record is we sure we went on tour and we played our asses off, but then we kind of partied a lot and didn't go back to the bus and like, hey, you got an idea? Let's uh, let's smash something out, right? Yeah. You know, didn't have any demo rigs or nothing on the bus, even though it was a little a little before the unbox. It was still um, still could have had something going on, right? And uh, we were a little lazy in that department, and I I think our second album suffered. So um, definitely want to put that that emphasis on writing as many as many songs as you can even if they're tidbits even they're just a verse chorus yeah. or whatever bank that bank those up and have as many as you can and then even if you don't know what to do with them when you meet with your producer for your next album they can go oh that's that's gold that's gold that's gold yep 
you know, they can, you know, you can get some help with that because it's tough being in, being in it like that. Um, so yeah, that would be one, one thing. Uh, what else would I do different? Um, you know, it's important, I think, to have a fund if everyone can, you know, yeah. put, put aside whatever they can per month. If you start, even if four guys are putting 25 bucks each and it's a hundred bucks yeah. a month going away in the inception of the band, well, six months, you got 600 bucks to spend on something or to demo your stuff or to, you yeah. know, even, even more. So if you could put more away, that would be a good thing. But, uh, yeah, those are a few. You're going to say I, something. I, I love that actually when, so way back in the day, yeah, a million years ago, prior to um, Mariana's Trench being Mariana's Trench, it was Ramsey Fiction, and I actually played in the band for a period of time. Right on. And at that point in time, what we did was all, like any shows that we played, the income that we made, I mean, you're making shit money, but you're making something, yeah. right? hundred bucks for the band for the night or whatever it is, but yeah. that money, nobody got paid out that all. And I mean, we all agreed on that, Yeah. but that all went into a band account and it was the same purpose to save up for being able to do demos or do whatever. So it's how, however you fund it one way or the other, whether it's through working your shows or whether it's through actually putting cash in out of yeah. your own pocket I would or say both. combo thereof. Let's say do absolutely both. Yeah. Yeah. That's super important. Reinvest yeah. always. And then even think about, you know, that money's good for obviously what it can be used for is going on tour, you know, or yep. ordering merch or CDs or whatever have you. Um, but it can also be, you can also think about how to reinvest in yourself and make, how do we step our band up from the other bands we're playing with? Maybe yeah. it's, investing in a couple of little this is local band level you invest in a couple mm -hmm. of little light rigs that you know yep. only going to be on your show you're going to look a little cooler than the other band and or maybe you know if money's tight but you've got some fundage in the band account maybe the band needs a, a bit of a look some outfits or something yeah you know, there's all sorts of um you know as we call it production that you could uh you could put totally. a little money production into. value right yeah. <clears throat> yeah yeah those are all good things yeah i i love that those are absolutely all things that have to be considered that i i don't think always are 100 <laughs> mm -hmm. um so that i mean that also kind of answers the next question which is usually what did you do right in your career and you sort of right. answered that simultaneously so let's talk about um what have been this is less about the specific people and more about just the relationships. What have been the most important relationships in your career? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I suppose it's interesting because we've had a few, a few, you know, a few people that we thought were quite important yeah. or that we thought were quite important to us that turned out to be backstabbers. So, yep. <laughs> so, you know, that's interesting. Right. Um, Definitely, I, I think first first and foremost, your internal relationship probably with the other people in your band. I mean, you all should probably love each other and get along and hang out together yeah. and do stuff together and, you know, be be a good cohesive unit. You know, there's definitely, you know, some crew guys that we had for long periods of time that we really came to, to you know, consider family and, and uh, mm -hmm. definitely relied on quite a bit. Um but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, we had, uh, you know, we had a business manager that, uh, that we thought was great, but then found out after, well, then he died of a liver 
failure. Didn't tell anybody that, that was happening, but I mean that whatever family, whatever reasons we felt all bad. But then we began to find out as they went through all our books and yada, yada, that he had been stealing from us and uh... didn't cash. There was like 60 grand in uncast checks and there was this and that. And we owed the government money and oh my God, uh... like, it was a whole thing. It, basically, we didn't see a royalty for, for four or five years. Uh, as a result, I think even longer, actually, most of the 2010s there, because um, it all went to paying back yeah, just shit that he fucked up, right? So um, that, I guess, is a lesson in being real careful. But, you know, it's funny, like, we didn't just find this guy out of nowhere. He was even recommended by our management, and he had mm-hmm. other clients, and you just never know. And, you know, one of the things I, I tell every, because I, I tend to, like, try and offer as much advice and, you know, try and help develop everyone i work with right yeah yeah. so one of the things i tell everybody is that there's not a single person working in the music industry that is certified to do whatever the hell they claim to do yeah (laughs) there's no diploma on the wall or shit like that right so it's like yeah you really got to watch it and be careful well and i think um i i don't think people realize that when you are an artist that what you actually are is a business owner. Mm, you're right. Yeah. And I don't think people take that perspective on it often enough. And let me tell you, if you are any other kind of small business owner, whether you do your own books or whether you pay a bookkeeper and an accountant and a whoever to do your stuff, you still need to know enough to read your balance sheet and your Pro, you know, profit and loss statement. And you you need to understand the numbers enough to know if someone's fucking you over. Absolutely. Yep. Same goes for musicians. If you are handing that task off to another person, that's fine. Let me tell you, most musicians are not numbers people. <laughs> I still struggle with it. Right. So that I- is, yeah, no problem. I get that. I, I, I don't argue that in the least, but it's your, like, honestly, the number of people that tell the story that you have just told, Yeah. what we can do to take care of ourselves is learn enough to know if we're getting screwed or being taken care of. Definitely, definitely, right? And it goes even beyond that. I mean, we, you know, um, obviously we had management at the time that was getting Mm -hmm. commission and, you know, looking at numbers and books and, well, they didn't see it either, you know, yeah. and I don't know how hard they were looking, mind you, but, um, but yeah, you know, it's, you, you do, you do, there's people that you, that you, you know, think you trust and even that you, you, even people that you do trust that are trustworthy, but they're just fuck ups like you, you know, me, you know, like the yeah. musician. Right. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. And then something gets screwed up and it's when you're dealing with big business. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it can, yep. it can really bite you in the butt. Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, definitely good advice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, any other important relationships in your I career? Would say that... There was definitely some radio people. Yes, definitely yep. some radio people that we got to know well and would you know see every time we came into town and and uh, and that was. I mean, it definitely. I think it still is to a degree, but it definitely was a huge, uh, a very important factor is to have relationships at radio. You know, that's that's something that you know we kind of, well learned from the people that we were working around but you know nickelback was the perfect example of that where yeah you know chad quit his job and basically became the band's radio tracker and made relationships with every 
program director across the country, you yeah. know, and, and um, that's, that's, that's a huge thing. That's that, those were huge. So there was definitely some people that, yeah, that championed for us and whatnot. Um, uh, the agents that we had, we had Ralph James as an agent, Nick Minema, mm-hmm. and both of them were, are awesome, right? They're, they're both, they're both killer. They both really, they both care about, you know, us, not just how much money's yeah. and whatever else. Right. So, um, it's a big distinction. Yes, it is a big distinction. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think our management cared about us too. They were maybe just not as competent as they came across. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, you know, label, you know, label our A&R guy actually who signed us. We, um, we still talk to him to this day. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, everyone else at the label, there was lots of good people there, but there was like the high ups were not cool. Right. So, you know, that, <laughs> that relationship eventually soured and, and I mean, yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. But it, it it wasn't us. It was definitely them. Their relationship sires with everybody. So, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the transition from. And and I know it wasn't like just a this box, that box, and yeah. that's all there was. But um, the sort of transition from being a a, a performer, a drummer, mm-hmm. over to working in the production side. Um, and yeah. how you learned to use your skills as a producer. And, um, you know, you, you touched on it, telling your origin story there, but um, you want to take a little deeper dive into that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, when I started out, I didn't, I didn't go to, you know, a school or nothing like that. Um, a, you know, well, I went to the the school of going and working with actual producers and whatnot, right? Yeah. So that was, that was that, obviously that was huge because that made, that allowed me to be privy to those working environments and those type of, you know, that, that kind of quality and what's expected and, you know, and it's still, it still has taken me years and I'm still obviously getting better, but just to develop, you know, my ears and my taste and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, but when I started, yeah, it was, it was sort of, um, you know, because of the producers that we worked with, obviously at that point I'd worked with Chad and and Rick, um, and then we did our second album with Rick again in Seattle. Um, so uh, you know, they're both of both of them are are obviously big song guys. And in fact, every producer we've ever worked with were song guys, right? And I think that I think that is something that really, you know, most of the big successful producers happen to be song guys. I I think and there's plenty that aren't, but I mean a lot of them. Are and a lot. explain what you mean by that term right uh somebody who like is more focused on how good and accessible the song is than maybe other things like well how everything. many notes the singer can oh, sure. sing. exactly right yeah right. <laughs> fancy and hard it is yeah yeah so um so yeah focusing on the material and making sure that that is great and you know even all the the peers that I have that I look up to here locally that are my good friends, such as Mike mm-hmm. and Garth Richardson and, you know, guys like that, but guy, the producer, we did our last two records, Bob Marlette down in LA. Um, yeah. You know, the, the answers are all whenever, when back when I was asking some of those burning questions, the answers are all quite similar, right? You know, it's uh, is it a good song? Yeah. Is it going to get right? that's the that's really it that's really it and it trumps all it trumps everything else you can have a shitty mix and you can have a whatever crappy snare drum and whatever it doesn't matter is the song great the song's great that's you know 
that's going to translate. Right. So anyway, so that's really what I took from that and, and, and focused on that, you know, having some songwriting background and having been able to work with guys like Chad learning songwriting from him. I mean, he's a master, right? So yes, he so is. I picked up, I'm sure 90% of what I know about, <laughs> you know, writing pop songs from, from that guy. Right. Um, and, uh, and uh, that slowly I started to learn the engineering side. So at, at the beginning, I hired an engineer that I, that I actually ended up working with for probably seven or eight years. Um, and uh, slowly throughout that, you know, he'd, you know, we'd be like, yeah, you got to tune some vocals. And he'd be like, well, you do them. Why don't you learn how to do them? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll learn how to do them, you know. And then uh, eventually <laughs> I learned how to do everything and I didn't need them anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's kind of how that happened. And of course, you know, we're all for for the longest time working with lower budgets and more compact, you know, home studio setups and this and that, that you kind of have to do everything, you know, until you're, mm-hmm. until you can afford to pay a bunch of people on it. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I picked up everything. I picked up engineering, I picked up mixing. I, you know, I, I definitely sponged it because I, I've turned into an audio geek here. I, I definitely enjoy, you know, soundscape and, yeah. And, uh, you know, putting together a mix and making something sound big and big and punchy and ripping and whatever. Right. So that's, yeah. that all turns me on. So, um, um, yeah, once I kind of figured out, once I learned the fundamentals and how to do everything, then it was really all about developing taste and coming up with sort of the things that I like and the way I like to do things. And, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of the place I'm at now, uh, which is, I think I'm, stoked on where i'm at now and i'm excited to keep getting better um but i'm at a good place now where i can you know i can i'm not concerned about any gig i'm taking or any genre or any whatever mm-hmm. even though i think i'm strongest probably in the rock or even the more real instrument genre i would call it over like the electronica side i just don't listen yeah. to a lot of that so i just don't i'm not fresh with that but i think i'm kind of fresh with rock and sort of yeah yeah, shit yeah. like that right so um, so that's where I where I feel strongest. But I yeah, I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty pretty good going in any situation now. Being able to, you know, it doesn't matter what gear is there or whatever. You know, it's 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 pretty easy, right? So that's yeah. that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like thinking of this sort of through the eyes of a an up and coming artist who doesn't necessarily know all the things yet do you want to explain how an artist a producer and an engineer work together successfully on a project kind of what each of their roles really looks like um and the different facets of the roles uh someone who doesn't understand what a producer does or where the artist and the producer collaborate yes okay well and that actually that can work on so many different levels because you do yeah. get the producers that aren't necessarily the song guys who are more about, you know, whatever the tones or the, this or mm-hmm. the, that, and they're going to focus on different things. So depending, I would say, depending on what you want out of now, this is a loaded question or whatever loaded, whatever, because asking an artist what they want when they don't know what they want is pretty difficult. Right. But um, um, you can either, you know, you do get two different kinds of artists. You got the artists that kind of think they've got it all figured out. They don't really want much input. They just want to go and record their songs the way they are. And that's it. If that's the kind of artist you feel like you are, you're probably not looking for a producer. You're probably just looking for, 
an engineer. Now, that's not to say that I don't think a, a band like that could benefit from a producer. I think everyone should use a producer mm-hmm. if you want your stuff to be, you know, better than you can make it, right? Because, I mean, that's the adage, too, is, uh, you know, as an artist, you make a record. Well, nowadays, it's more than every two years. But still, you make a record only so often. And when you're a producer engineer, you make records all the time, every day. So yeah. that that right there sort of should tell you that, okay, he's probably going to probably going to get it better than I will, you know, but then again, it's all about, you know, uh, maybe it's a little bit about credentials. If you, you know, I think you, I encourage everyone to go listen to when they're scouting out a producer and engineer, go listen to some of their stuff and just make sure you're happy with it. Or if, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, a lot of research isn't done. A lot of people are just looking at deals and, Oh, you'll do it for 500 bucks. Oh, sweet. You know? And then yeah, you just pissed away that 500 bucks on a, you know, unless it's a great song, I guess I'm shooting myself in the mouth here. But, <laughs> right. but if, if the song's someone... good enough, maybe the five hundred dollar recording's fine. But, <laughs> but I think you're right. Like if it's someone who, I, I think every producer has their their style, their kind of sound, their whatever. Yeah. And if, as an artist, if you don't do your homework, if you don't go listen to their stuff, you could end up with something that is not what you were going for. Right. Ultimately, yeah. you could end up with something that is a surprising, totally. like, fabulousness, but you're rolling the dice if you don't do your homework beforehand. Absolutely. Yeah. Great way of putting it. Yeah. So now if you are the artist who does write a ton of songs and you and you, you got all this material, you don't know what to do with it, but you know you want to make some music. Well, that's definitely where the producer comes into play. Um, so, you know, when I'm working with an artist, I... I ask for demos. I ask for everything. You know, don't send me your guitar player's collection of riffs. Make sure there's words on them. <laughs> Make sure that they yeah. have some semblance of a song. But send me everything. I'll happily go through it and listen to it all and tell you what I like best. And then we have a conversation about, you know, I mean, of course, budget always comes into play how many songs you want to record. But uh, just that, what songs are we working on? Do we have the material? Do we need to write more? Um, whatever have you so from that point you know um if you're working with a producer it's the producer's job usually to go and book everything for you book the studio book the engineer now the engineer we'll get to that in a second but book the drum tech book you know whatever right just make sure all that kind of stuff is handled and 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 tickety boot right so um i guess if you think of it like a uh, like a like a ship you know the producer's like the captain Mm-hmm. Right. He's sort of calling the shots. And then the engineer is like the skipper. He's driving the boat. So mm-hmm. the engineer is the one who knows all the equipment, knows the room, ideally, is a good engineer with his taste and sounds and abilities and can, you know, get the drum mic, drums mic'd and whipped up, you know, in a short period of time and keep the thing, keep, keep everything moving. And so that's generally yeah. what an engineer does. And of course, we do also live in the day and age of one guy doing it also in my case i'm both producer and engineer so i'm sitting at the desk the whole time as well as you know working with the band prior to the sessions with working on their songs and the pre-production and then in the studio working on their performances coaching coaching their performances especially Mm -hmm. with vocalist um you know and then uh and then onto the uh editing and mixing of of the projects and so basically i have to do all of that uh, you know, mm-hmm. to make a living, right? <laughs> and yeah. uh, and uh, and that's yeah, that's typically, I guess that, those are the roles. But yeah, the producer role is just just that. They're almost like that 
that fifth member or whatever, however many people are in your band, that extra member that you're bringing in, who's able to sift through the shit for you and help you, help you steer the boat, help you get to the end, help you make that record. Right. Yep. And as a producer, what would you like artists to know before working with you? Like what is the best way they can prep for their time with you? That'll give you the best final product. What's their responsibility? Right. Certainly. Well, I would say probably just those band habits we were talking about. If they are everyday players um, and if they are writing all the time, that's most of the battle won, right? The, you know, if they, um, one thing, one thing that some guys don't do for sure is knowing your parts before you come into the studio. You know, there's, there can be wiggle room, but I do get some guys come in like, oh, I, I don't really have a way of playing it. I play it this way. And then, okay, well, let's do the next take. And it's played a whole totally different way. And it's okay, man, well, we got to like, we got to hone in here. <laughs> you know? Make some choices. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make some decisions. So knowing what you're going to do. And I mean, I'm, I'm extreme with that. I go in when I would play drums on a record, I'm going in and playing the same take. However many times the producer wants yeah. me to this exact same part, the same fills. Cause I've, yeah thought about it all and i've written it all and if hey if somebody wants me to change something that's easy to do but the point is i'm going in fully prepared with a part fully written that's yeah. that i'm you know 90 percent sure is is going to be the part right so um so that would be a big thing question there yeah. I, I and i want you actually to finish that whole thought but do you feel the same way specific to singers on that point as you do with the rest of the instrumentation about it being well, the same well, every time a little bit a little well yes and no a little definitely a little bit less again i i, I was with me i'm a little extreme on that right i, yeah. I do i am I, I like vibe is a huge hugely important thing when when recording music and you know even with a vocalist often i'll i'll just let them do a take or two on their own before i start giving them too much instruction start getting their yeah. brain working too much and and having to think about too much stuff right um and then hopefully by the end of yeah, whatever it all depends if the singer comes in and knows his stuff or her stuff whomever and they yeah and they smash it out it's it could even be one take but it's a couple three maybe um but uh, sometimes i'll need to go you know five six seven takes and it's usually yeah. those last well it's usually the first two takes and the last two takes that end up being where i take most of the most of the stuff most of the parts from um, because you know you've got the vibe in the first two, and then you've got all your good enunciation and whatever yeah. points you were trying to get the singer to cover in the uh, the last two there. So um, yeah, I de- I definitely you know I encourage the vibe. I encourage um, if something hits you, try it out. Right? If you, if you feel like a throwing in a yeah or a grunt or whatever, try it to see whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Not uh, not saving lives, just making rock music. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, However, that being said, yeah, uh, melody and cadence is big for me in the vocals. And I think, um, you know, ironing certain things out or making things bop off the one and two off the quarter note vibe, right? Mm -hmm. Making things kind of kind of bop around a little bit. And then once we get that, yeah, delivering it the same way a couple of times. um, Mm -hmm. That's that's important. Um, But it's in terms of their sort of intensity or their emoting or whatever that's that's a vibe thing right you kind of got to be in the moment for some of that stuff so i guess it's kind of a balance yeah 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 Yeah. um anything else you'd want artists to know before or have prepped right coming coming in in? knowing your parts 
um, having enough songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in the in the um, in the situation where you're working with a song guy producer, uh, being open to the uh, the criticism and the uh, not criticism, mm-hmm. being open to the the suggestions and the changes. I mean, honestly, you know, I, I it doesn't rarely gets to this point, but it's like, well, if you're not going to listen to me, then why are we even here? Right. Right. You know, why yep. Why are we doing this? I'm not here to record your, you know, mediocre ideas. I'm here to, to make them better. Yep. And if you don't agree with that, that's cool. But we probably shouldn't be working together if that's the case. Right. So there's 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 that. Yeah, I guess it's being open, being open and understanding that ideally, hopefully trusting that producer you're working with and understanding that they've been around they've done some shit and they've probably got some pretty good ideas and Mm -hmm. roll with it and and for clarity's sake um are you expecting someone to come in and take a hundred percent of your ideas or is that still a give and take process understanding that you have some expertise and what you're saying holds some weight and is Mm -hmm. worthwhile but it's also that's that person's project and idea so there's probably a balance yeah i definitely i pick my battles so if i think it's important enough i'll stand by it and i probably won't let it go um but definitely if it's something i don't feel is gonna make or break it's not a make or break for me uh and they want it one way then i'm totally fine with it like it's often like something at the end of a song oh can we do i want to do this or that and i'm like fuck we're at the end if somebody made it all the way to the end yeah. right right <laughs> do whatever you want yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. certainly if it's like a big hook or if it's some you know i like to go down to this sour shitty sounding note it's like no you know let's uh, stay on yeah. the one note we'll put harmonies it'll sound great just do it trust me <laughs> yeah. So, yeah certainly yeah i pick my battles uh depending on how important whatever it is 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 to me so yeah but i definitely i'm selfish i'll come on yeah that's that's yeah. I think it's that's why we're here. It's why we're here, right? So, you know, we're we're here to to make a good record, but you're here to listen to yeah, you know, what I got to say about it. So that's kind yeah. of a yeah, it's a big thing. That's a big thing. And again, if that's not something that the artist feels like they're into, well, then that's all they need to do is go go into a studio for a day and have an engineer make them sound as best they can, right? Yeah, yeah, that's fair point. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today with Danny Craig. That was just the first half of my interview with Danny. He's got so much more great stuff to share with us. Uh, So I hope you'll tune back in on Thursday where you'll get the second half of his interview. So much good juicy goodness. Um, I'm so excited to share it with you. We'll see you then.